We are in 1 Timothy chapter 1. If you're using a pew Bible this morning, that's page 991. That'll help you find it. We're continuing on in our series, Guarding the Deposit that was entrusted to us. 1 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of Ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. How do we guard the deposit as a church? The admonition of the epistles, of the pastoral epistles, is the admonition to Timothy and Titus is guard the deposit that's been entrusted to you. Been entrusted to whom? It's been entrusted to the church. The deposit, the gospel. The truth, if you will, that leads to life. We don't make it up. We don't decide what it is. We don't edit it. It's been given to us. And our responsibility as a church, as a local church here, and as the church globally, any church, the responsibility of the church from the words and lips of Paul, because that letter was not just written to Timothy, it was written to be read to the churches. That letter says, guard it. So, the question we'll be asking over the next weeks is, how do you do that? What, what specific things are given to us in, in his letter to Timothy and, letters to Timothy and Titus that tell us what to do about it? There are four areas that we'll look at. It, it, it will deal with how we deal with truth or doctrine, how we handle that. It will deal with issues of leadership. In fact, that's, that's, that's a key part of those texts. Leadership is crucial. Leadership. Mission. Getting the mission right. Getting the mission of the church right guards the gospel. How that guards the gospel. And finally, the, own, the, 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 uh, the individual godliness of the corporate body of believers has an has a influence on guarding that gospel. So we'll talk about those four areas. We'll, we'll move around a bit in all of those books. We won't go from beginning to end. We have to move around a bit to get it in enough, a small enough period of time here to talk about it. But those are the areas we're going to talk about. In the next couple of weeks, what we're going to talk about is a bit of how the church gets itself in trouble. Ways we kind of get off track and get off mission and some of those kinds of... What, what can... What can cause a church to, to stumble in guarding the gospel? And we'll spend those couple of weeks talking about some things like that, some specific things that I think scripture, these scriptures speak to. But this morning, what we want to go back to uh, is where we were at last week. And, and this particular premise, which I think comes right at us from the scripture we just read, You will not guard something unless you see it as a treasure. 
So the, the first thing that must, must occur for the church to guard the gospel is they must understand the treasure that it is and, and the way we understand it is by experiencing it. The gospel, ourselves. That's what Paul talks about in this text. A few years ago, when, when uh, the Soviet Union was opening up and was going from being the Soviet Empire to Russia, and it was breaking apart. In those early days, I had two opportunities to go to Russia and to, to experience that for myself, that opening, which was, which was amazing for a kid who grew up in the Cold War era, a kid who you know, knew what it was to worry about an atomic weapon being, being shot over to us in the Cuban Missile Crisis and all of that, to go into a country that was seen so bearish in all of that and to see it as it opened up. But one of the fascinating things on the second trip that I had was I stayed with a family. I stayed with a, actually in the home of a Russian family. They had mom and a dad and, uh, and two sons, Sergei and Igor were the sons. It was, just, it was fascinating just to, to be enmeshed in the culture that way, to live with them as we were doing ministry in a day camp school there. I'll, I'll never forget um, asking Sergei, the dad, um, I, he had all kinds of books and I, tr- I was trying to engage him, trying to make conversation with him and connect with him. And I said, you must, you must enjoy philosophy because the books were of a philosophical nature. And he said, no, no, economics, economics. He saw the opportunities. He was an entrepreneur. He had two businesses that he was starting in, in this this economy that was really shady and shaky. I mean, at one point, his business partner and he said to me, the uh, mafia protect us better than the police. That's the kind of culture he's starting these businesses. And I kept asking him, I'd like to go to your office. I'd like to go to your office. And I I could tell he didn't want me to go to his office. He, He didn't want me to get anywhere close to his office. I can only imagine why. But one day we're going down the road in this, this little car he has and he's, he's showing me the sights. And, and actually we're on his way to, he says, I'm going to show you my, in his, in, his, in his broken kind of English, pig office, pig office. Had a pig farm, he's going to take me to the pig farm. It was his pig office, so he was trying to get me to his office. And, uh, and then, but the, the fascinating thing about that, one of the fascinating things was, Every morning I would go with his children to school uh, and to the day camp that we were able to share Christ in openly, just openly share Christ there as we were in that day camp. But um, every morning we would leave the house after his parents. His his parents would be gone. They both went to work. His father went to whatever office he had. and, and, And we would go, we would leave. But invariably we would, we would, we would all get out of the door. They lived in a flat you know, apartment building kind of flat, had a padded red door of this thing. But uh, Sergei would would close that door and then he would just shake it as hard as he could shake it. I mean, he would just shake that door because I was confident it had been ingrained in him. Everything they owned was in that flat. The banks were shaky. I'm sure they didn't put money in banks. It was in there. And I'm sure his parents had drilled into him, make sure that door is secure. Why? Why? Because of the perceived treasure they thought was in there. That was a treasure to them. They, they were guarding that treasure. 
They were guarding it in a society where the mafia protected them better than the police. You can just imagine what that was like for those kinds of individuals, for those entrepreneurs who were stepping out into this whole new economic system that was pretty, pretty shaky at that point. But it was about guarding the treasure. I hope, I hope, I hope we do that as a church, that we see that treasure. We, we know that treasure and, and we are as committed to protecting that treasure as that Russian family was in protecting their earthly treasure. That's what the commission has been given to us to do. But you've got to see it as a treasure. You've got to know it's a treasure or you won't protect it. You've got to savor that treasure continually. Well, let's look back at the text for a minute. I just want to take one verse this morning. I have have a little shorter time period. We're just going to lift one verse out here. One verse, in verse 15 particularly, we really just want to focus on that particular verse. We're just going to break it down and again see more of what Paul saw and why he saw this as such a treasure, why it was a treasure worth guarding. Uh, last week, just to bring you up to, to, to speed if you were not here, we, we talked about this same concept and, and two things we said about the life of Paul. We said that one of the things that, that you, must, you must be overwhelmed with if you're going to really guard this treasure as you should, you, you have to be overwhelmed by the mercy of God toward you. You have to just be overwhelmed by it. Paul was overwhelmed by the mercy of God. Um, he, he is here giving some instruction in chapter 1 about doctrine and doctrine that's got off base and all of that. And then he just kind of intercepts into this passage or puts into this passage his testimony of grace. And, and he gets so carried away in that testimony of grace that at the end of it, in verse 17, he just goes off in spontaneous praise to the King of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever. Amen. It's almost that he gets lost in this appreciation of the mercy of God toward him. We have to understand. We have to understand and be overwhelmed by the mercy of God or or we're not going to see this treasure because that's what that treasure is about. That's what the gospel is about. The mercy of God, the undeserved favor extended to us from God. Undeserved, completely undeserved. We made that point last week. It, it, the, initiative, the initiative for that mercy to be extended and offered comes from the heart of God. Not because He looks down and, and sees something that catches His eye. There's nothing that catches His eye except, except the ache of His soul over the cosmic treason of all of us. There's, there's not something there that catches Him, that, that sparks Him to be merciful. That's the way we operate, isn't it, oftentimes? I mean, we, we give mercy if we see a little something. We extend mercy sometimes. That's really not mercy. If, if, if it's prompted mercy, mercy is, is the undeserved. There's nothing there. And, and you, you've, got to, you've got to think about that. You've got to rest in it. If you don't, if you don't see God's mercy to you, if you've come to see the glory of God in the face of Christ, 
and begin to see that treasure, embrace that treasure, if you don't see that as pure mercy, it, it will get you in trouble. It will get you in trouble. Paul saw it that way. But, but let's look on a bit more just, to, just to, to look at that. Look at verse 15. Let me, just, let me just break it down into about five parts here and then we'll go. It says this. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. He makes that statement four times in these epistles. That kind of statement. The saying is trustworthy and worthy. This saying is trustworthy and worthy of full This is one of the first four that he makes like this. So he says, the saying is trustworthy. Timothy, you can bank on this. You can take it to the bank. It is trustworthy. We live in a society today that thinks this message in many camps is foolishness. It's foolishness. It's foolishness. The world wants to tell us it's foolishness. The world wants to tell you that it's, it's not central. Oh, it's okay if you have a little bit of it, but if it permeates all your life, and some don't want anything to do with it. Nothing to do with it. There's a, there's a rigidity now that's risen up that wants nothing at all, not even a little bit of it for us to taste it. That's not how Paul saw it. He saw it as central. I say to you young people, don't buy the lie. Don't buy the lie. This is a central message to all of history. This is what Paul believed. This is what Christianity teaches. This is a trustworthy statement. Worthy of full acceptance. What's that mean? Full acceptance. It means a little bit about depth. It's a weighty thing in that sense. But it means much more about breath. It's worthy of full acceptance. It's worthy of being broadcast to all of the nations. All of the nations need to hear this. Every people It's worthy, it's deserving of that kind of proclamation because it's about the glory of God. You see, you're you're receiving mercy. I will have mercy on who I will have mercy. It's about the glory of God. God's decision to save a people. And it's a message because it's about the glory of God that He wants to save a people from every tribe and nation. It's a, a message worthy of going global. The glory of God is the global message worthy, worthy of full acceptance. Deserving of full acceptance. The glory of God. One person has said that missions exist because worship doesn't. This message is about the nations coming to see the glory of God in the face of Christ and breaking out spontaneously as Paul did about the mercy that's been extended to them. Some from every kindred, tribe, and nation all around the globe go into all the world and declare this message of deserving to be taken everywhere. You have to be careful you have to be careful even with the rest of what we're going to talk about here because it goes on. It says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full extent that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This, this message is, uh, is about God saving people. 
But this message primarily doesn't start there. It's about God's glory. It's not about man's sin, really. The primary reason is, is, is because of God. God's decision. God's decision to save a people. And here in this text, we find out who those people are. It says, the saying, the saying is trustworthy and deserving full, except that Christ Jesus came, came into the world to save sinners. But before we get to save sinners, back up. He came. Christ, don't, don't, don't pass over that. Paul didn't pass over that. He didn't just add that for filler. Christ Jesus came into the world. I've told you that the, 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 the doctrine that has been the sweetest to me in recent years, the doctrine that has been the most helpful to me in recent years, is the incarnation, is, is what Christmas is all about. The Word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. Part of that is because the, the, the weight of pastoral ministry hit me in the face more and more. The, the more I got involved in people's lives, the more I minister to people, the more I saw hurt and brokenness and heartache and the, the effects of sin on lives, both, both directly and indirectly, just because this world's broken and the suffering of this world. And I don't have all the answers. I don't have all the answers when somebody says to me, why? Why did it line up this way in our lives? I, I don't know. I have a big picture of that because the world's broken. Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and brokenness comes to all of us. But I don't know why some people have it more intense than others. I don't know that answer. But the comfort for me was to say to them, but God didn't stay away from it. I don't know why, but He entered fully into it. He, he, he came into the brokenness. And folks, when you read those words, when you see the words that say, Christ Jesus came into the world, don't just run by it. When we get to Christmas in a few months, don't run by it. Stop and think what that means. Think what it means when Philippians says, have this mind among yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on earth. We take that way too lightly. God didn't have to do that. He didn't see something down here that obligated Him to do it. Nothing down here obligated Him to come. Everything down here said, be done with it. Be done with it. It was in His heart. The heart of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They chose to come. Christ chose to come. 
and dwell among us. You, I, I say this carefully, and I don't say it lightly. I don't say it tritely. If you're suffering and, and asking the question of why it lines up this way, it's the wrong question to ask. The question is, why would God, why would God do anything? Why would He come into this suffering? Why? And He came to save sinners. Does that catch you? Do those two words together catch you? Save sinners? Do you ask, how can those two words be put together? Save sinners? Again, that was no small thing. Without Christ, they would not be together. They would have no meaning. It would not be possible. He came to save sinners. Paul knew that. And Paul then says, of whom I am the foremost. I'm the foremost. Important point here. Paul doesn't say, I was the foremost. He says, I am the foremost. I am the foremost. Paul knew he needed a Savior. And the more he walked with that Savior, the more he knew how much he needed that Savior. And it ought to be the same for us. On your bulletin, take it out this morning, will you? Pull it out. I want you to look at it. Again, sometimes when you print things again and again and again, they just get repetitive and you don't see them. But look at what it says. To all who are spiritually weary and seek rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who sin and need a Savior, Down a ways it says, this church opens wide her doors and offers welcome in the name of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. It, it, it's not a matter of those who need a Savior who come in and those who don't need a Savior who come in. We all need a Savior. We continually need a Savior in our lives. When I was a young pastor... There was a young couple in our church who would come to dinner at our house. He was a professing believer. He was a, he was a leader in the church. And uh, he would come to my home sometimes on Sunday afternoon. In the middle of harvest, he would come to my home for dinner on Sunday afternoon because it was unthinkable for him to harvest on Sunday. God had put it upon his heart. He shouldn't do that. And he decided to honor that Sabbath principle, not to do that for his life. He didn't do it. But he'd have been better off if he would have. Because he would sit in my living room having dinner and hardly be able to digest it. Because out in front of my house were the trucks lined up at the elevator. He'd have been better. His heart would have been purer if he'd have been in the combine than it was then. You see, 
we can get some stuff corrected in our lives as we come to see the glory of God in the face of Christ. We, we start to get some things figured out. We start to resist sin in ways we need to resist sin. But sin is a funny thing because it's about the heart. And, and we get one layer cared for and, and then there's another layer and another layer. And I think Paul understood that. He understood that his heart was a more complicated thing than getting two or three things figured out. He had to continually wrestle. He knew what it was when he said, I am the foremost. I continually need a Savior. Has He made a difference in my life? Do I, do I fight sin? Do I have a, a power to fight against some sin in my life? Yes. But even as I fight, I realize there are other things in my life that I have to war against and fight against. It's a funny thing how that works in our lives. I'll tell you another story and then we're going to close. This one is about Richland. This is about one of you sitting here today and I didn't ask your permission to share this and I'm not going to use your name, but you may know who you are. A few years ago, I had a funeral for an individual within this community. I've had enough of those and been around long enough that I don't think you'll figure out who it is except you're the person that might have come to me. I had that funeral and, and one of you came to me and you, you said, it doesn't, it doesn't seem fair. It, it, my heart just felt like something wasn't, it doesn't seem fair. And I knew that was wrong. I knew it was wrong. And, and here it was. This person, this individual, didn't, didn't think much of God probably all of their life. Didn't think much evidence that, that he was much of any kind of treasure in their life. But, but toward the end of life, that changed. Toward the end of life, I believe, he declared, I need a Savior. And I think that Savior was faithful to save that sinner. But you had trouble with that. And you recognized that trouble. You recognized that was, a, that was wrong. You see, that's what sin's like. You've walked with God for a long time. And there's lots of us that have done that. We walk with God for a long time. And God helps us with lots of stuff. And He should. The Gospel, when it comes into our life, it makes a quantitative difference. The Holy Spirit enters our life. And we ought not to take sin lightly. And we ought to fight it at every front we can fight it. But there are so many fronts. And the longer we follow Him, I think that's the way it was with Paul, the longer he followed with Him, the more he knew he was a saved sinner. And he needed that Savior. I should say this, he, he didn't need Him anymore. He just knew how much He needed Him. This is a trustworthy saying deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the foremost. I hope you know that too. I hope when you read that, you're not reading that for the visitor who might come or the newcomer. You're reading for yourself. I'm a sinner, and I have need of a Savior. 
And He is a wonderful Savior. He is a treasure beyond all treasures. He is God. Let's thank Him. Stand sing. The mystery of the cross I cannot comprehend. The agonies of Calvary Through the perfect holy one Crush your son Drink the bitter cup Reserved for me Your blood has washed away my sin Jesus, take Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. By a perfect sacrifice I've been brought near Your enemy you've made your friend Pouring out the riches of your glorious grace Your mercy and your kindness know no end Your blood has washed away my sin Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once you're an enemy, now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. of my soul I want to live for you the of my soul I want to live for you the of my soul
Father, help us. Help us to know what a treasure it is. This gospel. This work of your Son on our behalf. Who gives us a seat at that table. Oh Lord, if we find this morning that we're... That word treasure is a foreign word. I pray, Lord, we will not let it remain a foreign word. That, that, Lord, you will truly open our eyes to see that treasure more and more. It's step one, Lord, I think in guarding that treasure as a church. Go with us, Father. Help us treasure the gospel together. In Jesus' name, amen.